Hello and welcome to the Multiplanetary Society podcast, where we explore topics related to the space economy and the why and how of potentially becoming a multiplanetary species. I'm your host, Timothy Reuter. Today, we are pleased to have with us Siamak Hassar, CEO and co-founder of Kehan Space. Siamak, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. So let's start with what your company does and what you hope it will be doing in five to 10 years. Yeah, so Kehan Space, uh, I like the way I like to um, uh, introduce ourselves is that uh, we are a technology uh, company, software technology company uh, focused in uh, uh, making sure that we have a sustainable space economy. Mm-hmm. So we are uh, we provide uh, for our commercial uh, customers we provide uh, autonomous satellite collision assessment and avoidance system, uh, and uh, essentially we are the only uh, uh, company in this area that is providing autonomous uh, collision avoidance uh, that is safe and it is uh, feasible. And by that, what I mean is that. Uh, we take into account uh, satellite operators' constraints. Uh, mm-hmm. That could be operational constraints. That could be uh, physics-based constraints. Uh, uh, and then we uh, recommend uh, courses of action or maneuver plans uh, that uh, basically they, they can literally take uh, those plans and upload it to their spacecraft. So by doing that, uh, it reduces the response time to a uh, critical collision event by more than 95%. That's great. And, and just to make sure I understand, do you have proprietary sensor feeds? Are you just taking what the satellite operators have? And it sounds like it's a decision-making tool for a human to send instructions to a satellite, or do you actually have sort of some autonomy that you're building into the satellite navigation system? Yeah, good question. Uh, so the short answer is yes to your latter question, to the last question. So, but uh, essentially, our uh, focus is, you know, we are a software company. Uh, we uh, get data feeds from the uh, U.S. government, uh, so U.S. Space Command, uh, that uh, is um, essentially manages the space surveillance network. Uh, well, rather, right now, it is U.S. Space Force. Uh, so they uh, manage what's called this, a, a space surveillance network. It's a, a large array of uh, telescopes and radars uh, mm-hmm. that continuously track all the objects in space and uh, uh, basically and provide data to us. So we have uh, agreement with, uh, with the government to get the data. Those are precise location uh, and velocity data of uh, the objects and where essentially where the objects are moving. And we also receive data from our own uh, satellites. Uh, so GPS, onboard GPS data, for instance, that the operators have. Uh, so essentially our platform uh, receives all these uh, different types of data and we can receive data from other data provider, commercial data provider. It's a data agnostic platform. We do uh, essentially fusion of all those data. We determine what is the best course of action and the core, uh, uh, I guess, the secret sauce is, is in figuring out uh, what that course of action needs to be. So it's a, you know, it, it's a advanced astrodynamics uh, capability uh, with, uh, you know, uh, optimization involved, uh, you know, with real world constraints. 
Yeah, so looking a little bigger picture, you know, I think your your company is squarely within the space situational awareness and space traffic management areas. Right. Could you explain to our audience a little bit more about sort of what is going on in those sectors and what is the nature of the problem that's being faced, especially in low Earth orbit? Absolutely, and I can uh, and I start I can give by uh, start by giving a context uh, about mm-hmm. the problem. And that is, uh, you know, since the start of the dawn of space age, so mm-hmm. since uh, essentially Russians uh, launched the first uh, satellite Sputnik to space, we have humanity as a whole up to last year, we sent on the order of 9,000 objects into space, uh, which have contributed to about an estimated million artificially generated pieces of debris that is currently mm-hmm. orbiting around the earth and we are able to track only 30,000 of them. Uh, we meaning, you know, the best uh, capabilities that we have um, on Earth. Mm-hmm. So you, that, there's, that is a problem, right? So even mm-hmm. if we stop sending a single satellite uh, to space today, we have a problem that we have to deal with. However, that's not the case, right? So just uh, SpaceX alone, in the matter of one year, they became, became the largest satellite operator. And, uh, you know, uh, so in the next decade, we are expected to send on the order of 60 to 100,000 satellites. So more than 10x growth mm-hmm. of what we have sent, at, at, you know, uh, uh, in total in the past uh, several decades. So that, and the problem is that the uh, satellite operators and the systems that we have in place to ensure spaceflight safety are very manual and they are not set up to be able to contend with this scaling of the commercial space industry. And that puts everyone at risk uh, because when you have a manual process that is, you are not able to uh, respond to tens of thousands of conjunction alerts or high risk alerts every day, or every week, then uh, yeah, you are putting yourself and everyone at risk. Yeah, and so right now, you know, let's say something from the the Starlink constellation may have a convention event with uh, OneWeb, or you know, actually, let's make it even more complicated with a Chinese satellite. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they decide who is going to expend the fuel, move out of the way, and you know, lessen their total useful life since uh, fuel is longevity? Absolutely. So very good question. And uh, so, um, uh, and and the, the short answer is that it is a very difficult problem and we don't have a solution yet. Uh, so um, I will tell you what is the state of the art today mm-hmm. and where uh, I think how it should be and where we fit in in that picture. So this, in terms of the state of the art, people like uh, Sp- yeah, SpaceX, they have uh, started, for instance, they have a bilateral agreement uh, with NASA mm-hmm. that every time a space Starlink comes in conjunction with a NASA satellite, then Starlink is going to move and NASA satellite is not going to, is going to stand down. So, Don't piss off your biggest customer. That uh, is a good uh, good uh, principle. Yep, yep. 
But however, you can see the problem with that, right? You not every first of all, you cannot have bi thousands of bilateral agreement between different operators. So that is one issue. And the other issue is example that you brought up uh, a Chinese satellite or a Russian satellite. Uh, the the protocols today is that because it is under a, a military operation, uh, most of these processes, uh, these communications go through higher high levels of government between the two countries to be resolved. And uh, obviously, we heard uh, every you know there was on the news that. Uh, China, uh, you know, Starlink came in conjunction high risk with a uh, Chinese space station and uh, they uh, were not happy and obviously they complained to the United Nations about this. So that is not sustainable. That is a, that's that's problematic. So um, what it what needs to happen is uh, for humanity, for us to come together and we have done this before. It's not something new. We did this in, uh, for in the early days of aviation industry. You know, uh, you know there's a, you know the Chicago Convention that was a result of multiple meetings on the United Nations level, uh, bringing different uh, uh, you know countries together, and you know U.S. and Soviet Union back then they they worked together to establish some uh, you know uh, rules of the road, if you will, right? Yes. Uh, so that is uh, that that is the, the uh, direction that we need to be headed uh, in terms of the policy and mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know regulations. Uh, in terms of the technology, what we can do, some like a, what a company like Kahan can do, is what we basically announced uh, uh, you know late last year uh, is uh, our uh, platform called Pathfinder is able to. Uh, generate autonomous coordinated avoidance maneuvers between two operational satellites. So we uh, take the again the constraints, the capabilities of both satellites, and in case of a conjunction, our algorithms autonomously generate uh, maneuver plans that are feasible and safe and uh, applicable for uh, both operators. Uh, so that that is the uh our play in terms of the technology solution for this problem so let's actually dive for another moment into the um policy side of things you you referred to the chicago convention which if i remember correctly led to the formation of the international civil aviation organization Correct. ico at the un mm -hmm. and, and you know ultimately what you're working on is a governance challenge how do you what are some scenarios you see for how this gets coordinated you painted one sort of the chicago convention all the the countries come together there's a global technical body formed are there any other scenarios that you think are plausible ranging from the the positive to more negative and uh, i guess the one you talked about is the one you'd most like to see but how do you think about sort of different equilibrium that could come about for this yeah, and uh, in practice, uh, I mean, um, again, uh, I am very hopeful. Again, you know, the the fact that we were able to come up with uh, uh, civil aviation um, rules of the uh, road, and uh, the, in the height of, uh, I guess, Cold War and a lot of the other things that were going on, it shows that we are able to do it again, right? So. Mm -hmm. 
not a far-fetched idea. And uh, and it is in everyone's interest, even uh, you know, if you have uh, Chinese uh, operators or uh, Russian operators, they do want to be able to uh, uh, you know fly safely. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants their uh, satellites uh, being destroyed because of the uh, conjunction or risky uh, situation. But I could see uh, practically uh, some middle ground, and uh, I think. Uh, Technology, uh, industry, commercial industry has a mm-hmm. tremendous role in, to play in this, and uh, I am actually very happy to see that a lot of the uh, companies that are in, involved in this area, they uh, we have pretty much a, a unanimous agreement that we need to work towards, uh, say not rules because it's not dictated, but standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the standards that? Uh, that uh, an operator should be following to make sure that they are flying safely. And those are being worked on. You know, uh, we go to different conferences. There are different uh, proposals out there in terms of the rules of the road. Exactly. You mentioned, obviously, fuel is is very important to a mission, a mission lifetime. Uh, uh, But, uh, you know, we can agree that, you know, for instance, if you have two operational satellites that one of them uh, do, does not have a very, um, uh, essentially they have a low thrust system that they cannot perform a large enough maneuver to get out of the way. So in those scenarios, it definitely makes sense for the other uh, satellite to perform the uh, maneuver. So there are these logical, um, you know, kind of checks that we can put together as an industry that everybody, uh, it makes sense, everybody can follow. However, that brings up the 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 the, the, the need uh, for autonomy. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, uh, humans cannot be in the loop of deciding and going down the checklist and say, "Okay, what should I do now?" Right? And uh, we could have done this. Uh, we, uh, you know, humans uh, are able to do this uh, maybe 10 years ago, but not anymore because yep. the, the the scale of the problem is uh, increasing very rapidly. And I guess, so is that where you see this going? Because the product that you currently described offering the market was you sort of provide advice to a human operator that then sends something to the satellite. So the human is still very much in the loop. Ultimately, does this go to sort of a system that is embodied in software and just some people are watching a bunch of, you know, robots do their thing and intervening when uh, sort of eventually necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, exactly. What you mentioned that humans are in the loop at the moment for when I'm talking about our uh, product in in particular, that's actually by design. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we want to obviously space industry, aerospace in general is a very risk averse industry. You want to make sure that your customers trust your processes, your software is working correctly. Uh, so the la- that last part is uh, left uh, to be human in the loop by design so that we establish that trust between our customers. But yes, our goal is to uh, provide that autonomous pla- process, uh, basically close that feedback loop. Uh, and what I like to say is we want to have human operators on the loop rather than in the right. loop, right? That you you have full visibility, you you see what is going to happen. Essentially, the system 
generated the recommended maneuver based on all the inputs and constraints that it has. It uh, it is uh, put it in queue for the to be uploaded to the spacecraft in the next pass, and then human can essentially say, okay, I can you know I don't like it, I can reject it. Yeah. Do you think one possible future is sort of what I might call corporatist agreement? You know, on the one hand, I think the the Chinese government is not going to get out of the way for Starlink, but iSpace, sort of the Chinese commercial provider, could mm -hmm. potentially have agreements with a, a set of uh, companies around the world. And so, you know, could all the private operators come to some sort of their own agreement, build a system like what you're talking about, even in the absence of sort of high level UN agreement? Yeah, absolutely. And that is why I mentioned earlier that I truly believe that the industry has a tremendous role to play in this. And we should definitely bring this conversation to the civil uh, area rather than um, uh, what it is right now is like tied to military uh, right. sector, right? And that is why I think it is extremely important uh, for, uh, you know, in the previous administration, this process was started, but it got stalled, unfortunately, but it's getting uh, renewed again that the fact that uh, you know, Department of Commerce, and I think it absolutely makes sense for the Department of mm -hmm. Commerce to lead the space traffic management uh, for civil uh, space industry, right, for the commercial yep. space industry. And uh, yeah, and once we bring it down to commercial level, then I think it, it'll be a lot easier for American companies to co uh, communicate with the, with the Chinese companies uh, rather than having for you know having the, the governments to talk with each other yeah and i guess what do you think the role i mean the the relationship between military operations and commercial operations will be it seems like it's, it's really an evolving line where the commercial sector is is growing perhaps even more rapidly than the military sector although that's growing quite well uh, right now it sounds like your first customers are in the military sector you referenced working with with space command or space force so what do you, how do you see that changing over time sort of big picture and how do you see that potentially changing in the context of your business yeah good question and uh so um i guess to answer that i want to kind of i made the analogy to the aviation industry uh, this is, uh, in fact, the uh, area that making analogy to like uh, um, maritime or aviation industry doesn't make sense. And I'll, I'll say why. And this is the challenge for the space industry, because um, uh, so for the aviation industry, obviously, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, protected airspaces. Right. So uh, we have very clear airspaces for, uh, you know, for each country or for three activities so all every pilot they know that you know you're not supposed to go in that area or when when it is violated it makes a big deal you know it makes it into the news because it is not supposed to happen that is not the case obviously for space because um the problem in space is that today we are uh, you know obviously from the u.s military point of view space is a war fighting domain and and uh, and rightly so 
However, we are also, it's the only domain that we are also having, we basically conduct commerce in inside mm -hmm. our fighting domain. So now we have this uh, two things intermingled. Uh, however, uh, you know, I think there are, uh, there are a lot of things that can be done to basically have an understanding that, you know, this is a commercial activity. We are, uh, you know, uh, the, we have a certain constellation and a certain orbital environment, certain altitude or orbital band. Uh, those are commercial activities and um, let them do their thing. And then obviously we have uh, U.S. has military assets. Um, other countries have military assets. Those uh, can be handled still by the military, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, kind of. But, you know, and the deconfliction of them with other military assets then will be a lot easier if we take the whole commercial activity out of that, uh, you know, uh, out of that yeah. uh, kind of uh, debate. And do you see actually the military becoming some sort of protector of the commercial sector? Will there be a, a Coast Guard that sort of helps, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the scenario would be, but, you know, if a satellite is coming under pressure from other actors, mm -hmm. would the Space Force intervene? Or do you see just sort of military operates its own assets and commercial operates its? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, and in fact, there was an article that recently came out that uh, Space Force is, in fact, interested in uh, the, the article talked about patrolling uh, the orbital environment from between Earth and the moon, right? It's lunar. Exactly. So the entire gamut. And uh, so um, I could see that be the case. However, you know, again, we need to be very cognizant of the fact that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I think U.S. should and needs to take that initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, obviously not just U.S., but U.S. and allied countries, European countries, Australia, U.K. And, uh, you know, we, we should basically uh, take the initiative because if we don't do it, then, uh, you know, um, people that are going to do, uh, if our adversaries uh, take the right. first step, then it won't be very uh, favorable for us, right? So, um, and however, uh, the, the, when we talk about protecting an asset, we are implying that there are some rules established, right? What is the, what is the, for instance, still, we don't have a definition that what is the, uh, uh, you know, um, what is considered a dangerous activity? You know, so things always get close to each other in space. They, they fly by each other. We have conjunctions. Uh, but we also have very intentional activities that sometimes, for instance, China uh, and, or Russian satellites have done that they go and they park themselves very close to space assets uh, or U.S. space assets. So, so that is intentional, right? So these kind of... Um, norms of behaviors need to be defined first and then therefore you can say that okay now somebody is violating or is about to violate these norms and now i have to enforce it yeah so let's actually bring this discussion back down to earth for a moment now mm -hmm. um i'd love to hear a little bit more about your backstory and how you started this company 
Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, I am uh, basically I have worked in the aerospace industry uh, for many years, and uh, uh, and I've always been fascinated with space. Um, and uh, uh, you know, in my uh, profession, uh, I, I I went to University of Colorado Boulder. I'm biased, but it's one of the best uh, universities when it comes to astrodynamics and uh, received my PhD there. And after that, uh, essentially went to industry and started supporting uh, multiple NASA JPL missions. Uh, it, for instance, you know, as a SSA specialist for the NASA GPM mission uh, that is flies very closely to ISS. So uh, it's, a, it's a making sure that, you know, the two spacecraft don't run, in, run into each other. Uh, so, uh, and basically uh, starting those roles, uh, I immediately realized that the industry is not set up to uh, contend with the looming scale or, or like looming expansion in the commercial market. And I remember uh, Ara's uh, co-founder and CTO uh, of Kahan, we go a long way back, we have been a close friend since high school, we were roommates in college, and we have always been talking we, you know, about life, about work. And I remember, uh, you know, uh, I was talking and back then even uh, Starlink was not even in the picture. So, you know, we were still talking about Wombat, for instance, uh, in early days that of Mega Constellation. And I clearly remember talking to Aras and I'm, I was saying that I can't believe, you know, Wombat is going to uh, deploy thousands of satellites and we are still doing everything manually. This is this scares me, right? So that kind of conversation started and we kept talking and talking about it. And, uh, the you know, what Aras does best is he brings uh, automation into into different fields, right? So mm -hmm. we kind of joined forces, my astrodynamics expertise and his uh, software uh, design and, uh, you know, uh, automation expertise to bring this uh, product to market. True. And how do you and how do investors think about space economy oriented businesses that, you know, usually tend to be a bit more capital intensive and have long timelines to profitability? So what what's different you know, between what you're doing and just the next SaaS email Absolutely. advertisement uh, business yeah um, so I would I would say that you know uh, there is obviously some education involved uh, when you are talking to investors that are not uh, space focused mm -hmm. uh, you know fortunately uh, it, you know space is is a very hot topic these days and we have a lot of investors that are very well tuned and very well educated about space economy space industry uh, so that is great, but you always meet with f folks that are not uh, uh, in attuned with the uh, uh, space industry, and there is some education involved there. Uh, but this is how I uh, and you know the the thing that I always refer to is that think about everything we do on Earth um, mm -hmm. from. Uh, you know, everyday life, our our timekeeping, right? The, the time that shows on your cell phone, uh, going all the way to, uh, you know, navigation, air travel, uh, supply chain, even food production, agriculture, they all those rely on space today. 
in this uh, you know in our uh, the you know the way of the modern way of life that we are living and uh, space is really an infrastructure and that infrastructure needs to be protected and needs to be sustainable and and once you start talking about uh, uh, that and um, framing in that sense then people start getting it right but uh, there is always a challenge obviously you know for instance you talked uh, you the example you brought, I guess, uh, yeah, the apps about emails and things like that. So, and we always talk about this uh, in terms of the types of customers we have, right? Uh, that we are dealing with whales rather than mice, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, we have a few very large uh, deals or customers compared to, say, a social media app that might have millions of uh, customers, but each pay a small amount. So that is definitely a challenge, uh, not a challenge, but basically the, the just the nature of this industry that we have to work through. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that makes And you sort of started talking about space as essential infrastructure for our life here on Earth. And I, I think in so many ways that's already the case. Looking out to 2050, you know, what do you think are likely to be or what do you hope the activities will be in space mm-hmm. so 28 yeah. years from now yeah no uh i wish i had a crystal ball but uh <laughs> if I w- my first thing would be I, I i hope we are still able to safely fly in lower earth orbit mm-hmm. so lower earth orbit is a very limited band around the earth uh, you know uh, stretching all the way you know from about 400 kilometers to a thousand kilometers above the earth and that is where the 90% of the commercial activity is happening right now. Mm-hmm. So that's a very congested area. So my first wish would be that we are still that is under control and we are able to fly safely and we haven't completely littered, littered it. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in 28 years from now, I can easily uh, see that we have uh, put boots on the moon again mm-hmm. and we have a relatively sustainable uh, business cases that the commercial industry is able to make to uh, perform lunar missions. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully we have, uh, you know, basically uh, extended our activities to Mars and uh, other planets. But I, I guess Mars is going to be the, the first stop. Yeah. And just on that, that final point, do you think it makes sense for us to go to other planets? Obviously, the name of this podcast is Multiplanetary Society, so we're we're trying to explore what that means. But how would you make the case that people should make the investments required, which are sort of you know 10x what it costs to do mm-hmm. things in in Leo or or you know on the Moon? Do you think those are investments worth making, and if so, why? Um, absolutely, yes, but uh, there is obviously nuance to that, and I will kind of try to explain it. So, and, and yes, there are a lot of critic, critics and that say that, you know, we, we need to spend that money on Earth, you know, solve our problems here on Earth. What, what those uh, uh, the, the folks are missing is that uh, it is not just we are going to space, right? The space... Uh, in, o- in order to put a mission in space and be able to support it, uh, first of all, uh, we are, uh, you know, that supports several industries here on Earth. 
obviously, uh, it pushes the envelope of the possibilities that we can do technologically. Mm-hmm. And um, I can count numerous, uh, obviously, you know, there is a, a, a really good NASA website. It's called NASA Spin-Off Technologies mm-hmm. that I would encourage your listeners to look at that there are so many different technologies that we take for granted today, including cell phones, including navigation, GPS, even medical uh, technologies that are here because of space activity, because we put that investment and we push the technology forward. Space is hard, and in order to be able to do it right, we have to uh, build uh, amazing things. And those amazing things are gonna help us both in mm-hmm. space, but also is going to make life better on Earth. And so that is kind of obviously the economic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess logic or um, the reason that why we should continue investing in space. Uh, but also, uh, really, as humans, we are explorers, right? We always mm-hmm. want to go places that are not explored. And, uh, you know, just to you know, the Voyager that was able to turn around uh, when it was, uh, you know, right next to orbit of Saturn, turned around and uh, took a picture of Earth, that uh, pale blue dot that everybody saw, that gives you perspective that, you know, we are all humans that are living on this tiny planet that uh, obviously needs to be cherished, needs to be protected, it gives you that perspective. No, I love that. And just as a a final fun question, how do you think about bringing Persian culture to your business? You know, obviously you are you named your company Cosmos in Farsi. Um, you know, you personally are named after a beloved prince from the Shah Name. Uh, you know, that was your parents' choice, not your choice. But you know. <laughs> Just as a, you know, how do you think about bringing sort of your personal culture and, and background to the, the business that you're building? Yeah, so I, I guess I haven't thought about it that way that much. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what I, uh, this is what I love about this country, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we bo- both myself and my co-founders are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And um we have uh, several employees that are, you know, uh, either first or second generation immigrants. And the idea of us being able to come to this country and be able to, uh, uh, you know, not only get educated, but also start uh, creating jobs and pushing the industry forward and, uh, you know, uh, having, uh, trying to uh, leave a legacy behind. Uh, that is not uh, possible in many of other countries in the world. And, uh, and to me, uh, you know, uh, we, and, and I don't want to get too sentimental about it, but my co-founder and I, we always talk about this. We, because we have seen how the life is outside of the U.S. and mm-hmm. how, you know, how fragile the democracy is and how, uh, you know, important it is for us to keep uh, the the order of the world the way it is now and uh, you know and with all the recent activities that is going on in Ukraine that is very concerning but we always talk about that that we we have seen what can happen and we don't want that to happen right and mm-hmm. 
as a result, we are uh, very determined to move fast, to build technologies, make sure the United States has the best and uh, the best capabilities that is able to, first of all, protect the national security. It is important. Uh, and, you know, I, I have kids, I'm raising kids in this country. Uh, and, and so, but also, uh, you know, help humanity uh, along the way. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I guess I look at it from that lens. Uh, yeah. Well, as the son of an immigrant and the grandson on the other side of an immigrant, I love that answer. Um, and just before we close out, is there anything else that you'd like to say about uh, sort of Kehan or any other space related topic before we close out? Yeah, no, uh, I, I think this was fun. Thank you so much. Uh, one thing I would add is that, uh, you know, um, uh, there is a lot of activities happening in space, uh, you know, both on the commercial side and the government side. Uh, you know, I encourage your listeners, uh, uh, you know, uh, follow on, on Twitter, both Kehana Space, obviously, but many other organizations. And NASA has, a, has great uh, handles, Twitter handles that they they put out uh, mm -hmm. events and activities. There are a lot of public activities that uh, people can attend. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I truly believe that the future of humanity is in space. Uh, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to fly to space, but the technologies that we are going to build and the, uh, you know, the, the uh, industry that we are going to have is going to more and more rely on the space. And uh, I think everybody needs to be uh, more educated about what it means to uh, send a satellite in space and have it orbit around the Earth and collect data and send it back to Earth. So, uh, yeah, so that's, I guess, my final thoughts. Well, that's a great ending note. Siamak, thanks so much for joining us on this program. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you to Siamak Hassar for joining the Multiplanetary Society podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you like this content, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform to ensure you don't miss an episode and leave a review to help other people find it. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please feel free to email us at multiplanetarysociety, all no, one word with no dashes, at gmail.com.